If we could talk about time Adam Watch a film today James We'd explain all the plots that confused you Scott And we'd say Welcome to Time Travel Film Club Hello from the past, present and future. My name's Scott Hamza and thank you so much for listening to the seventh episode of Time Travel Film Club. A weird, wild and deliciously nutty journey across some of the best and some of the worst time travel films throughout our timeline. As always, joining me in the TTFC to my right, our resident science guy and soothing time travel agony aunt, James Donnelly. I think I'd be a great agony aunt, to be honest, because I wouldn't really care about any of your problems. (laughs) And to my left, as always, film fact finder extraordinaire and a man who leapt over the blockade we erected to prevent his entry, Adam Hedges. I'm back, bitches. <laughs> we are back once again with our collection of 12 time travel movies spanning three decades and five countries, in which each episode you, our darling listener, will join our past selves for the breakdown, analysis and comparison of a time travel film you may not have heard of. Which brings me to today's episode and this episode's movie... The Girl Who Leapt Through Time. The Girl Who Leapt Through Time was released in 2006, directed by Mamoru Hosoda and written by Satoko Okudera. And boys, my first question to you is, subbed or dubbed? I went for subbed. Subbed, yeah. I was also on subbed. Mm -hmm. I did see a dubbed copy, Mm. but I couldn't access it for some reason. I would have, like, tried maybe to have watched both. Uh, But I I ended up on subbed. I just want to see. No no sub or dub, uh, 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 what's the word? Preference? No, yeah, no, uh, yeah, what's no the... gatekeeping. Yeah, no gatekeeping. Yeah, watch whatever you want to watch. But I'm, I'm always curious. I'd love to hear from any listeners who watch this in the dub, any listeners who've watched it both times or, or seen the differences. B- would be really interesting. But, uh, but yeah, I was on, I was on the subbed copy on Amazon Rental. Oh, you know, I watch most of the films with um, closed captions on anyway, and it's amazing the difference. They'll say something, and the captions will be completely different. So I'd be interested to see if there are some significant differences. It's given us a bunch of like secrets halfway through a lot of these films as well, right? Like stuff we didn't know was happening. Yeah, background noises or mm. you hear something yeah. pop up on the screen saying, Sarah says, and you're like, hang on, yeah. is Sarah is in this here? Now, dear audience, before we send you back in time to our past selves, if you'd like to get in touch with us, we'd be overjoyed to hear from you. Boys, how can our lovely listeners get in touch? They can like us on Facebook at Time Travel Film Club, or they can follow us on Twitter at Time Travel Club. And if they wanted to send us pictures of their walnuts, they could come to our subreddit, r slash time travel film club, or send us an email to time travel film club at gmail.com. You bastard. <laughs> and so, without further adieu, Adam, put down that fire extinguisher. James, you've got a train to catch. Do you think it's going to be late? In this country, absolutely. Is it me, or does this film open with the most boring dream sequence? ever conceived of by a human it's pretty dull isn't it i'm i'm playing baseball while i complain about my sister eating my pudding she's doing the thing she loves most and also irked by the thing she's unhappy about most in this time very Mm. very teenage i think this is uh makoto kono i'm gonna uh, try not to butcher that name throughout but this is makoto kono our uh main character in the girl who leapt through time uh this is a movie that came out in 2006 directed by mamuro hosoda and written by satoko ukidera i'm gonna try my best not to butcher those names anymore no no no, it's fine yeah yeah and it's uh, it's loosely a sequel to a 1967 novel, exactly the same name, The Girl Who Leapt Through Time, uh, by uh, Yasutaka Tsutsui. Tsutsi. 
Again, apologies, but uh, uh, I'm sure it's a wonderful novel. And so we, uh, this is also the first animated movie that we've got, the first Japanese movie that we've got in the film club, um, but definitely the first animated movie. That's also kind of quite pivotal. We've had international movies. I say international as if, you know, we are the center of the world, but you know what I mean. Um, not a British or American movie. Um, we've had Los Crono Crimenes, uh, a lovely Spanish film, and now we have The Girl Who Leapt Through Time. But yeah, some, some, some animated flavor. And I think one of the things, as you mentioned, James, boring dream sequence aside, um, Makoto wakes up quite quickly, realizes she's late for school. The alarm clock falls down from the sky in the dream. She wakes up, realizes she's late for school and immediately hurries out. We're getting one of the core tenets of Makoto's personality. She is uh, late. She is she struggles with the with the ebb and flow of time. Um, but this is one of the, the immediately as as would be the case immediately we get this lovely sort of rushed introduction to a bunch of uh, uh, characters. Her, we, we see in the dream sequence, we see her two closest friends. We see her family, her mum, dad, sister. And we get all of this kind of nice world building-y animation style of her neighbourhood and of downtown Tokyo and all of this. And this is the moment for me right out the, the door where I thought my eyes are going to be incredibly pleased for the next uh, hour and 40 minutes or so. It looks gorgeous, right? It's a, it's a, it's a pretty anime. I mean, anime anime animation style is real pretty anyway but it's it's got that kind of like slightly faded background pleasant sort of nature to it that i think is is really appealing to watch yeah i could say two immediate things about the animation style the some of the backdrops in this film are gorgeous like some of the different things the little does he call them trolls or gnomes or something the little elves or whatever he calls them by the shore yeah yeah the the little the whatever's going on in this film it's it is gorgeous but i do think i have a, a, a very minor complaint something that you see in a lot of animation is they will reuse assets because it's it's very very hard to keep drawing different things there were a lot of reused assets that i kept seeing time and again and it occasionally would take me out of the film I think one one of the things that I always notice about anime is um, the kind of the kind of pacing always seems a little bit off when you're when you're so used to watching live action stuff. There are moments in this where I thought to myself, "There's just slightly too long a pause here while we're looking at something happening, and then it moves on." But I think that's a, a fairly standard anime trope I think, anyway. I think there's some dissonance between. If we, I, I wanted to make like a whole big thing about this at the end, not a, a crazy big thing, but I, one of my reminders for myself at the end is, is to discuss how we would feel about this movie. It was, ex- if it was exactly the same movie, but with live action, with actors, with real people. Um, because I think, especially when it comes to cartoons and animated stuff, you expect you, you are born and are born. You are, you grow up with the expectation. It's going to be fast, frenetic, loud, uh, uh, you know, slapstick, whatever the nature is action where you know all this kind of stuff but it's going to happen quickly and this is this is pausey and and long in moments and indulgent in the in the kind of atmosphere and emotion and vibe in the way that like an oscar contender drama would be not a michael bay film Mm. and so there is it is a, a a hard adjustment but i i agree almost every time that there is one of these long drawn out pausey moments you are gifted with an incredible backdrop especially mm. the skies i think anyone it's on the the 
uh, I was going to say album art. It's on the film poster, on the DVD cover, on the Netflix tile, you name it. That big sky and the the wonder of it. And I think one of the things that I made sure that I didn't write too much in my notes and just beat the beat the drum about it constantly is is this the idea of this being Studio Ghibli esque. Uh, uh, in as much it is Studio Ghibli esque, in as much as it is high quality hand drawn Japanese and Japanese animation, the kind of thing that we don't get nowadays because of computer animation having got to a to the kind of point but it's loosely the kind of reason why a lot of people not everyone by any means it's generational but a lot of people hold movies like the lion king or hercules or tarzan your mid 90s late 90s early 90s uh, uh disney animations because they're they're hand-drawn and they feel a little bit more personable and a little bit more sort of textured you can just you can just see the care that's been taken in it you can i i think i think more with this type of anime and particularly like you say studio ghibli that sort of thing you can you can see every brushstroke there's no like mm. there's no hiding behind it you know you can see the talent from the artists like really like coming through clearly on it and of course the other famous japanese pastime uh baseball taking place here i've got a good fact actually oh yeah they had just won in 2006 the world baseball classic series japan won it twice really? in a row um, and I wonder the, how many countries, uh, like America, Japan. I mean, there's going to be like what six or seven others, surely. But... Oh, I know the Dominican Republic is one oh, of them. Wow, of course, the whole of Central America. I totally forgot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I didn't realize how big a thing baseball was in Japan. But they've been playing baseball in Japan since 1870. That's when like it first kind of came over. They are know. wild. About it. Yeah. I had no idea it was that. It's it's slated as like Japan's biggest national sport i know sumo is is their number one national sport but i just had no idea it was a huge thing it well it, it's so american right mm-hmm. and i remember when i found this out uh, uh i remember going to japan and you see adverts for sumo and wrestling and baseball before rugby and tennis <laughs> and football and everything we know to be yeah. kind of like big mainstays and it's so American in the way that so many other things that have been adopted by Japan and South Korea are, but it's still kind of, yeah, there is a bit of a, oh, wow, you guys really, yeah, you do really love, ba- you really love baseball. So talking of baseball, one of the things we see in the dream sequence, we will be seeing kind of again and again, we have that kind of light baseball chat that the friends are all having. And so as uh, Makoto is rushing to school, we kind of saunter through the morning with her, building up towards her having one of these baseball hangouts with her friends. She's only just on time for school. Again, she makes a mess in home ec. She does poorly on a pop quiz. She's flattened on school grounds by a, by a boy being flung. There are all of these kind of character building moment he gets some distance on that fling yeah that's a well-thrown man and he's throwing her i mean yeah it's it's he's a, he's he's gonna be a boy but he's a large husky yeah, husky yeah. harris mm-hmm. of a boy and he's flinging him for quite a while he's turning him around yeah. to it's very much the kind of built-up mm-hmm. joke that you expect there'll be payoff there'll be payoff there'll be payoff but he's you don't realize how strong the payoff will be before he flings him a good sort of six meters across the the, the school ground and this is of course a scene that we'll see replayed several times in this film this is all these are all just little boxes to play with we Mm -hmm. are we are dyed in the wool of time travel films now where we understand when you are setting yourself things to illustrate as as shifts down the line she then makoto she's after you know what's been what's been a a a very unfortunate day for her uh, uh with all the the clumsiness and the potentially being late and all these kind of foibles she sneaks away into a lab, gets herself some privacy, and she sees written on a uh, chalkboard just before she goes in, time waits for no one. And this must be the 1500th time that time has been mentioned so far in this film. They do lay it on a little bit thick 
right at the start. Everything that's being said is, I've got no time. I'm you're not going to be on for, time. Late for school. You're, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, as she's in the, the laboratory, she's, you know, surrounded by all of these kind of like vials of liquids. And it's very kind of like cliched, scientific-y, labor, don't touch anything kind of thing. I always get flashes in my head of Barry Allen becoming the flash whenever I see all those chemicals. I think, yep, lightning bolt through the window. She's going to be set for life. But um, uh, tell me, gentlemen, what would you describe the object that she trips over on causing her to fall in this laboratory? Say, say it in three. Three, one, two, two one. Walnut. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Weird, right? It, I, I couldn't. I couldn't place that it was anything else. Apart, immediately, I was like, "She's why are there walnuts in this? It's yeah. just a walnut. in the shell." By the way, for the purpose of listeners, yeah. not just a rogue walnut lying about. That's gross. But not, a fully no, yeah. shelled walnut. Yeah, and not like not quite the right color, like quite a, a dark gray walnut, but definitely a walnut. Yeah. They make mention of it later on in the movie. Uh, it's Jackie that mentions, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a shell, I believe he says. But to be honest, for the for the majority of the movie, I was like, well, it's, yeah, that's a, a little walnut, maybe just a walnut. What would you call it? A husk? Walnut shell as well? Yeah. I mean, you see it like quite briefly gr- glows red when she falls on it. So I obviously I knew immediately. Well, it's more significant than just a walnut. But there was no descriptor for it other than it's a walnut. There might there might be something in that that kind of comes from a little bit of the background on this. So the the original novel, the character who is the time traveler from the future in the original novel, it's a drug that they take in the future. So part of me was like, oh, is it like do they like? grind it up or do you touch it or is it like something like that so yeah. when when the original character's name is ken um who do track this from 2660 so it's a way way oh it's in the real future, future. real way yeah. in the future um and yeah he, he says you can just freely buy this drug and travel in time that's how it works in the original novel well there is of course a drug you can buy in shops that does this i would not recommend it but nutmeg i mean it when Does it look a bit like a nutmeg? It looks a bit like a nutmeg, and as we know, nutmeg is a deliriant. Um, do not take too much nutmeg because this, you will this is just a public safety warning. Do pub- not take too much. Nutmeg. Imagine if it, imagine if that's like a little. It's not okay. I'm just going to say it's not. <laughs> no, do not. Now, after she's tripped on the small walnut, after she's tripped on some about. nutmeg. Now, just before she trips on the walnut, she realizes that she's locked in the room. She she can't get back out. The door is shut on her from the other way. And so she's walking around. She's startled. She trips on the walnut. And then straight away, boom, right here, right now, she time travels. She gets herself a glimpse of all of the time and all of the kind of thing it can be. I did wonder in this moment, does she travel through time or does she, is she just charged up? So there's been a mention in the film already, and it gets mentioned a few times, a kind of art versus science debate comes up of you have to pick, I assume this must be true of the Japanese school system where you have to choose whether to go to arts or sciences. And there's a bit of a debate throughout the whole show, the whole film. But interestingly, when she travels through time, you get two different visions. The very first time she travels, it looks to me like either... Van Gogh's... Oh man, I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, yeah Van Gogh's Starry Night, or yeah. it looks like Munch, Edvard Munch's The yeah. Scream. It's it, that that's very descriptive thought. art style, and I was like, that can't be anything else. That yeah. is what this is about. And yeah, I hadn't thought about this science art debate. That's really interesting. And the other type of time travel you see when she's 
basically trying to fix things, looks more like she's falling into a giant mechanical clock, mm. which is which obviously is my more preferred kind of yeah. yeah. Her first, the first kind of trip, I remember sort of frantically typing out my notes in like a fever dream because it's it's an upwards portal into some water, into a painting, into some horses, past some people upside down, into some black and white, through a mainframe matrix with loads of boxes connected with wires, down through some gears and some clocks, and then back out the other side. Fantastic. Lovely. Yeah. She does land back on the lab floor that she tripped up on initially, which is why I, in this moment, I, you know, she doesn't travel as much as she is just kind of like, uh, uh, she's not to borrow the matrix too much, but she's, 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 she takes the pill. She's now involved in, in the, in the situation. We know when her first jump is because it happens very shortly, but that kind of representation of an external, of being in a time that's not just time playing out on Earth, of going into a, a uh, what would you call it, a time dimension or a... A vortex yeah, of some kind. Slipping through a kind of like time vortex is where I kind of like... Being in something like that, yeah. Mm. What? Which of the other movies we've done have kind of given us anything like that? The, the, the one that kind of jumped out to me was the jacket. So it was that kind of you are taken out of yourself and put through something you know when when um jack is in the is in the morgue box the morgue drawer um everything's kind of closes in on him and he sees things kind of coming at him doesn't he like he's kind of experiencing it that's what jumped at me straight away it's interesting because um, the, the one I thought of was the sort of funfair ride that you have in sound of thunder where it kind of whisks them around and then they end up in the past, so I do think we've we've seen similar but two very different versions of this. I I was thinking a bit of Sound of Thunder. I think it's ob- I think there's a very obvious reason why this movie is the one that gives us a a long sequence, multiple sequences of this is what time looks like because it's animated, and so it's much much cheaper for them to do on budget because the whole thing is animated as opposed to let's say the jacket having to pip for some CGI or having to work. So you know, we know how Sound of Thunder had uh, had multiple issues, budget being one of them. Mm. Um, but it's nice, it's fun, and and crucially with this kind of thing. It's very, very easy for it to look childish or for it to look half-baked or for it to look under-conceptualized. But there's multiple iterations over the course of this movie of this, of how time looks when she travels. And each one is is a visually very, you know, perfectly fine, succinct, doesn't lead you kind of into, well, what, what does that mean? Or what is that? And then you also get the nice kind of metaphor of her falling. She's never walking through time. She's never even jumping through time. Leaping is adequate because you know you you leap into a, a, a something an, a, an expanse into a large space and into the potential of falling so the falling kind of not metaphor but the representation of her travel through time is falling i'm all here for that because again something we haven't seen before i think you're right i think the the calling it leapt through time is because that's her taking control of the falling it's she leaps through when she wants to travel but you're right the first time that she travels which is what's coming up shortly she's not controlling it she is just falling and it is Mm. the falling that's causing her to travel yeah and we later get a little bit of an explanation this is i guess a bit of the information i'm missing out but we later not to touch on it too much but we do later get a kernel of information that the 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 device helping her to time travel charges you before then you being the one to travel so it, it would it kind of tracks that this is the moment where she gets charged speaking of people who travel through time um 
I won't necessarily break it down yet, but I'll put a little a little asterisk here because she's going to go and meet the rest now. So she she meets Chiaki shortly after this with uh, Kosuke as well, and she explains to them what's happened. One of them says an interesting line that I will wait to describe to you later, but she basically explains what's happened to them, and they don't believe her. In fact, Kosuke is like, "Do you want my dad to give you a CT scan? Because he he can do that <laughs> if you need him to." I mean, that's that's a trope, surely. Isn't it the it's the convincer chat almost, but like the first stage convincer chat where nobody believes. You're it's completely less, right. It's less that I'm trying to convince you I've travelled through yeah. time, and it's, I'm trying to convince you that I might have the potential to be up to some some weird stuff, mm. which would then you would buy the time travel yeah. if you bought me now. Yeah. I mean, I hate to bring it back up, but it smacks of forty one. This does straight from the off. It's the it's Aiden's first chat with his two friends who don't believe him whatsoever. Um, Actually, annoyingly, you're right. I hate God, you. Go, I got him! Go, got him. Away, go away! Go away! <laughs> now, after that, like baseball chat with uh, with uh, Chiaki and and Kosuke. You said light baseball chat. Light baseball chat. <laughs> after some light baseball no, chat like with uh, with Chiaki and Kosuke, mm-hmm. Makoto is on her way to her aunt's, and this is our next big moment—the moment I alluded to before. Minutes later, she is hurtling down a a, a hill in Tokyo, and she's she's doing a, an awful lot of thinking and not a lot of concentrating on the road uh she also unfortunately her brakes are out someone you know <laughs> that's the key factor yeah. in this yeah now was this an assassination attempt oh, or is she just has come for her. yeah Definitely. exactly 100 yeah, yeah, yeah. so the the brakes aren't working she hurtles down uh the hill this hill this scene has resonance it has importance later on in the movie so it's not just kind of throwaway but she hurtles down smashes into a barricade and immediately over the rail flings into the path of a train. Of course, we've, we've seen her do this before, but previously she was able to stop at the very base of the hill before she flings off. So we know this isn't, like, aberrant behaviour for her. This is very common. This is what she's like. On brand. And of, immediately, rather than just dying in our movie ending here, she this is her time travelling. This is her big moment. She has taken a leap off of the bike over the rail into the path of a train, but it matters not. She's taken a leap. And so she time travels. Now, where does so where does she go with her first time travel? Yes, yeah, so she goes back here for the first time and she ends up just a few feet behind her from where she stopped and instead of avoiding the woman on the way down the hill, she crashes into a woman with her son, her son who is obsessed with the trains by the way, which we understand all young boys are. <laughs> uh, but she crashes into this woman and so she now is both confused and dazed from crashing and has a very aggressive woman shouting at her all the time and has this moment in her head where she can't understand what's happened to her, where she is, if she's died, and if her hell is just this woman berating her for the rest of her life. Yeah, exactly. What's going on? And there's a little bit of confusion for the audience at this moment. Not confusion, but there's just the the blanks haven't all been filled. You know she's jumped. You know it's to just before, but, you know, does she know how? Do you know how? Et cetera, et cetera. One thing I did quite like is just as she's in front of the train, as she's it's slow mos and she's thinking about all this kind of stuff. She has a very, she has a very kind of our generation sentiment of just kind of saying, "Oh, if I'd known this was going to be my last day alive, I would have woken up earlier." <laughs> <laughs> Scott, I think you said something to me the other day, which was, "You you didn't want to die, but you also didn't want to get out of bed." <laughs> And it's I the thought, most millennial thing I've ever heard. There can't be a there can't be an earthquake at four o'clock in the morning because I'm going to have a decision to make. Yeah, I, I might not make the right one. So after this kind of episode, 
calm down a bit again. Uh, she Makoto is off to her aunt's as she was originally before before the accident that has now not happened. And she goes back to her aunt. And this scene really jarred me at first because she's just talking away to her aunt really cleanly, honestly, openly. I think I can travel through time. I think something has happened here. Yeah. And her aunt is like, oh, yeah, most girls your age can time travel. It's yeah, I did. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Now, I couldn't tell if her aunt was being a sarcastic asshole here because she is called Auntie Witch. Strange name, but whatever. But was she, was this a sarcastic chat? Was she saying, yeah, I remember the days, fleeting days would pass by me? Or is she saying, because there's a weird scene later on in the yeah. film, is she saying, I time travelled when I was your age? Would you like me to clear that up for you? Oh, uh, save it for later okay, because there's cool. a moment where I was really like, hold on. Yeah. In this moment, instead, I'm just, it's the first time you meet the aunt and I'm just trying to gauge exactly, what, is she sarcastic? Is she yeah. spacey? Is she what? But yeah. I have the answer. Thank you very so much. So we'll come back to it later. That's great. Now, this is my favourite part of a lot of time travel films. It's the point where you know you can time travel and so you decide to kind of test your your abilities. You kind of test your parameters, test where you are, test what's going on. And so it's 6.15, Makoto's home uh, in the evening and she decides to kind of, you know, leap off the bed, leap further off the bed and it kind of escalates and she's considering leaping out of the the, the door before her her sister grabs her she thinks oh no don't jump out the window i'm sorry i ate your pudding don't kill yourself over this <laughs> yeah. how old's her sister to think that you might kill yourself just over pudding <laughs> yeah. because mm. uh, the the naivety and the sweet innocence is perfect i know pure sweet innocence is a lovely way of looking because it's just it's darling in this moment and so she needs to get this kind of exploration out of her system and so she leaves the house and she's you know goes for goes for a walk through lovely scenic beautiful suburban tokyo this was, as we mentioned earlier on, it's when she's going for the walk along the river in Tokyo. And you mentioned the people playing by the shoreline. There's people cycling along her. This was, again, a real kind of strong reminder that this is a gorgeous movie meant to be visually yeah. uh, mm. impressive, you know, completely separate to all of the content. Not separate, but working with it, of course, but that you could just put this on mute and and still have a really solid, mm. visual, enjoyable time. And there's a really nice thing done with in this moment particularly but it happens over the course of the movie every time they revisit this location of sideways movement versus vertical movement from her so in this moment the cyclists are going uh, uh streaming left runners are streaming right and she's running across their paths downwards towards the screen and it is a really nice visual and i think all the visuals that take place on this little section are really good to look at mm. there's this like thing that jumped out at me that was like oh, it's it's this really clear view that she's she's different in this moment there's something that's like propelling her in a different direction almost like she's not in control of it but she's testing out this kind of theory and everyone else is just carrying on around her but she's on a completely different path so it's like a real that symbol, lack of symbolic film that lack of control is a really good element of it to bring up because yeah she is she's kind of running downward downhill so you you lack a sense of control and that's kind of how she's operating with her time travel everyone else is moving left to no one's moving left to right people are moving no yeah left to right's right not right to left people are just moving but essentially what i'm getting at is yeah. they're just moving sideways horizontally along like and she is radically haphazardly and and without a full sense of control running across these lines, not with them. Um, yeah, she, so she, she doesn't know how this fully works yet. She's still working it out. And it's it's really obvious that they've made they've made a visual choice to show her moving at a different kind of like parallel to other people. And so as she's running around, running, you know, uh, across all these lanes and down by the coast, uh, she trips and boom, 
she time travels and we get her falling again. Lots more, this time around, lots more gears, lots more kind of uh, mechanical vibes to it. Less of the paintings and the horses and the upside down people and, and just a more sort of cerebral look to it. Almost like it's less natural and more clinical. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And so where does she land? Well, we get the miracle of the film, the reappearing pudding. She gets to have her pudding and eat it. Oh my God, get out. <laughs> <laughs> And so this is like a really fun, jubilant, enjoyable moment for her. We're coming to the end of the first third of the movie. She's figured out she can try time travel. She has figured out how she can do it. She's got the link between the train barrier moment and her tripping on the rock. And she's just, she's just stoked. And I'm stoked for her. And it's just really happy. The music's great in the moment. It's all just really, really nice. She has become the girl who leaps through time. The girl who leaps through time. That was uh, The World James Is Not Bond. Enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Adam Bassey. Yeah. <laughs> but the result of this leaping through time is she now works out how to use it and abuse it for her own devices. So at this point, she's going back in time. She's acing the quiz because she knows it's coming. She's on time for everything. When there's the disaster in the cooking class, she can dodge the cooking oil. And interestingly, somebody else suffers the fate that she'd previously suffered. We don't often get this. Sorry to interrupt you, James. But it's like she very quickly decides, I'm going to use this to improve my life. She's hot on it. Yeah. She's, she's hot. She's enthusiastic. Yeah. And, you know, she's 17. She's yeah. not thinking about consequences too much. She's not thinking about paradoxes. She's not thinking about grandfather situations. She's not thinking about anything like that. She's just, she's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be late and I'm not going to suck. And what's interesting is there's a little scene, just a very brief moment in the background, where you hear that the trains, the national trains, are celebrating their on-time day. It's national, <laughs> like, timeliness day that day because the trains are celebrating when they were, like, nationalised or something and nice. kept on time. Um, but she manages to ace all these quizzes. She avoids getting taken out by the um, rugby tackling boy and basically improves her day somewhat to the detriment of those around her. And at this point, she's displaying where this is right towards the the back end. She's got all of this frivolous time travel out. She's she's made her life better for herself in a, in a myriad of ways. You mentioned, James, crucially with the flying, not with the flying bully, sorry, with the cooking oil incident in Home Ec. She crucially makes the situation better for herself, but that is not the only consequence of the of her alteration of the timeline. We'll come back to that and the kind of balance between consequence and action. But she is managing to kind of just successfully pitter through all a pitter patter through all of the fun things she gets to make better for herself. And then at the same time, she's displaying that she has control over this ability, not just down to the to the hour, but to the minute, to the second. She's capable of doing like really focused jumps. Uh, and she goes back and she relives one moment over and over again, the karaoke night. She's having such a good time, she wants to relive that night over and over again. And there's actually a little weird, interesting, well, two little interesting things that happen here. One is that every order, they order two Cokes and a, is it a melon soda? Yeah, something like that. Mm. But then the very last time that they order, they order one Coke, a melon soda and a ginger ale. Almost as though something weird happens there to just subtly change the timeline. I know, I didn't notice. Do you see who's drinking which drink? We don't, but we do hear a quote from one of the other characters. We hear a quote from Jackie, which is, when you're just sitting there a moment ago, almost as though he's noticed something's oh. off about the timeline. Oh, I didn't get that. And, and maybe that him completely. this noticing 
is why he's now ordered a different drink just because of a very butterfly effecty little exactly change. I didn't catch that at all. I mean, we've we've all been in that situation, haven't we? It's like, oh, I'd love to relive this night. We've had such a fantastic time, and it's okay. like it's it's like typical adolescent teenage yeah, like absolutely that's exactly what you would do when you were what do you 17 mean we only had an hour that flew by i want more i want more yeah, yeah, yeah exactly yeah. i thought you were gonna say we've all had that moment where we want karaoke to never stop and uh, that's exactly the opposite, no, the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> but i'm stoked for her as i said we're, we're you know we, we come to the end of this final third and she is she's hot on it she's enjoying herself and and the level of control impressive the level of reckless abandon familiar and and it's just you know it's good times all around but very kind of quickly she comes up against a, a little bit of a more adult situation a little bit uh, one with a little bit more seriousness now after again some light baseball chat visit with her aunt these are kind of staples of the movie you know bit of bit of lbc and a chat with me aunt and her aunt being the only person who's sensible in the whole film and every time again using sarcasm as a weapon is like oh i'm glad you're having a good time i do hope it isn't causing detriment to other people around you <laughs> Her aunt looks like someone who's microdosed before, just expi- <laughs> oh, just like experimented. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. Mm-hmm. What's in that tea, mm-hmm. Auntie Witch? Uh, we're talking about you. <laughs> so, Aunt LBC dealt with, and she finds out that Kosuke has been asked out, but he has. He's rejected her. He's rejected the girl who asked him out. Right now, though, Kosuke and, and girls, not the focus, will become the focus. The focus right now is is Chiaki, because she they're on their way home. Uh, Kosuke, Kosuke nips off and she comes to a crossroads, a very... A super obvious in-your-face crossroads. Right on the nose, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Comes to the crossroads, they go right, Chiaki uh, offers her a lift and they and then we see them. Moving, you know, we get this big zoomed out again against the, the, the river, this big strafing from right to left. God, I love strafing. What a word. And we see Chiaki ask Makoto out. Okay, not like the end of the world, but it's a, it's a real big deal for Makoto. She is not sure how to handle it. And she has the gift of, of you know, just rewriting time and going out. And so she goes, she doesn't want him to do this. She's uncomfortable with it. So she... It can be awkward. I, ask, I mean, if you've got a good friendship with someone and they ask you out, it, you could really ruin that friendship. And I understand. And I, I watched this film with my wife. She doesn't normally watch these films with me. But she immediately piped up and went, you should definitely ask your friends out. And then looked me pointedly in the eye because we were <laughs> friends for five years before I asked her out. Interestingly, I didn't think it was going to play out that way. I thought she thought to herself, I've said the wrong thing here. And I should have responded with yes soon. So, like, I thought she's going to go back in time and change what she says so he doesn't feel like he's made a fool of himself. So she didn't linger too long. Yeah, because that's what you tend to see. It's like, it's regret, isn't it, in, like, adolescent situations where it's like, oh, damn, I should have said that instead and that would have made him feel better. But it's not that at all. She is... Uh, I would, I she don't, doesn't want her friendship to be She doesn't want her friendship to be Very understandable. Yeah, yeah, I get yeah. it, I get it. Makoto freaks out. She leaps back. She tries to avert it. She fails. She leaps again. No dice. She leaps again. No dice. Her only option is to go back to not this moment, but to the moment just before at the crossroads. And she goes back and just doesn't take the lift home with him. She goes down the, you know, as we said, big visual statement. No, she's going down the left of the crossroads. It is literally a darker and more lonely path. And we kind of, we get to a point where the student who was the negative beneficiary of the cooking oil incident in Homec 
is freaking out. He's, you know, we, we see him being bullied. We see him being treated badly. We also see Makoto try and defend him. We see Chiaki try and defend him. We see them try to, you know, try to help him out. But he is, he's angry. He's not, you know, not a super nice dude. And to cement his unsuper niceness as he's having this freak out, he throws a fire extinguisher at dear sweet Makoto. Yeah. And such an epic way that he throws it as well. Like he really gears up, he lifts it above his head, he's grunting and sweating, makes it seem like it is uh, one of those Atlas stones that you'd see in World's yeah. Strongest Man. Yeah, yeah. And then he wangs it right at her. Wangs it straight at her. Mm. And we get some real kind of integral time travel in this moment. We get some, She immediately... Chiaki comes to save the day, jumps in front of the hurtling fire extinguisher, and in seeing this... Again, just kind of reaffirming how strong her control of this is mm. and reaffirming kind of how we don't get to see the fire extinguisher inevitably hit Chiaki. The The movie takes the detour and immediately just shows, ah, she saw it hit him. She wasn't happy about it. She leapt and now she's back to save Chiaki this time. So it's a complete turnover of the situation. Yeah. Uh, which I would like to make a little, another little note here. This is, I think, the third time that something interesting could be going on. But again, we'll just wait a little bit longer before we bring up what that might be. Now, what she can't do by she she does the jump. She manages to save dear Chiaki. He doesn't get hit, nor does she. But her friend does. Yuri does. Yuri takes a nasty fire extinguisher off the floor, straight into her shoulder. Possible scarring is just an ugly situation. And this, again, mentioning for the second time now, is a is a strengthening of the notion that every time she makes a situation better for herself, it is not necessarily a better situation for someone else or for many other people. Yeah, and that she needs to start thinking about these things. There's always consequences to everything she does. She At, at, at this point, she's done something to to save Chucky, but there are consequences to what happens to the other people around. Makoto, understandably, again, a sentiment we can all uh, uh, sympathise with, has a little stress bath. This is, a, again, a real pivotal moment. There's a lot of stuff going on left or right of this scene, but the, the importance for us, Time Travel Film Club, is that she finds a, a 90, a 9-0, just above her elbow, underneath, on the underarm. Now, did anyone else see that 90 and immediately realise that was not a 90? I bought it. I no, was like, I bought 90. it. Yeah. At this instant, I was like, oh. Because I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, granted, now, if I'd have thought about it, it's not, there's no, where's the third digit gone? Why would the third, if, it, if she had over 100, why would there not be a third digit reading zero? So that intimates that there's 99 is the, is the height of her potential. And she's definitely done more than nine jumps, although I hadn't been tracking it at this point. And but I did just buy that it was 90 because of the volume. And because, you don't know at this stage whether that's an, a, a timer that's going up or coming down. That's I figured it must be a counter. It reminded me of, have you seen the film In Time? Yes. That counter that counts your amount of seconds that, you know, that's what it reminded me of. It's like almost like a tattoo that changes. But I was like, because I don't know whether it's going up or down, I had that moment where I was like, we have this in every time travel film. How many times has she jumped? How many times have we seen? Has she jumped 90 times while she's been practicing? Oh, so that's I'm what so glad threw you me mentioned completely. that. Again, I buy that. She's been jumping with such reckless abandon that if it's an upwards counter, yeah, I buy she's done 90. Yeah. It's a weirdly round number. But again, at this point, I was breezing. Did you, James, did you just think like, oh, no, that's, that's, a, that's a zero six right there? So, yeah, well, I, I wasn't initially sure whether or not when she said 90, I did think, okay, maybe 90. But I wondered if the line underneath it 
made it appear like, you know, we're all nerds, we've played Dungeons & Dragons. You have some dice which have to have lines under them to show you what the number is. Is it a six? Is it a nine? And I thought, well, that makes more sense. But then when she said 90, I thought, well, maybe I this is a different culture. Maybe they do it differently. Maybe the line's on the top for this. A good point. But I did immediately think, mm, I wonder if that's actually a six. Mm. Yeah, and at this point, she is then going to go and visit her auntie because, you know, auntie's... I don't know about you, but I've got a favourite aunt who I will always talk to when there's a problem. What she does is she goes over and her aunt says that you shouldn't toy with people's feelings, etc, etc. But interestingly, she talks about how she's been restoring a painting. A painting which we previously saw that was no longer on the wall. There was a little note telling us it wasn't there. But it's because her aunt's been restoring it. And that painting becomes very important later on in the film. And it's our second kind of mention of painting. We had the painting that she kind of we mentioned the van gogh-esque kind of thing of when she when she gets charged up as we're theorizing from the walnut in the laboratory uh she goes through the horses and the painting and the water and the under upside down people but paint you know that painting is becoming a recurring mention in this in this movie for for very accurate and right purposes you're right and in fact they're they're about to have another exam at the school i think a four hour long exam rough which is the next part of determining has she chosen art or science and no she's the last person in the school to have not chosen whether she wants to do art or science. Just as she's getting into the discussion about what are you going to choose, which way is your life going to go? Big decisions for a 17-year-old, big decisions we remember making when we were picking GCSEs and A-levels and all that kind of stuff. She gets hunkered down with a bit more stress. She finds out that Kosuke, who is now back to being the focus, Chiaki previously being the focus and, and being an issue for Makoto and saying something that she wasn't happy about. Kosuke is now the focus. Kosuke is saying something that she isn't happy about. Kosuke has rejected the advances of Kaho, a new student at the school, and he has rejected the advances of Kaho predominantly because he doesn't want Makoto to be alone, which is very noble, very nice, but it's not something Makoto is happy about understandably and so she much like the situation with chiaki down at the at the river she goes to great lengths and great hassle to over and over leap back leap back leap back trying to get a result trying to get the result she wants trying to achieve actions on behalf of Kosuke. She's trying to influence him by just constantly trying different things, different lines, different eventualities. And and this, I I feel like this is the uh, one of the moments in it where she's decided now. It's a little bit different in terms of her her traveling in time here because she's really decided here to try and help somebody else with a situation. I know she saved um, Chiaki before, but that was more of a kind of like reactionary thing. This is. I need to do something about this situation. I've got this power. I can now actively change what's, you know, my situation and also my friend's situation as well because it's not right somehow. I've got 90 leaps left. Let's just let's just smash them out. Let's do <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. What's interesting is just before she has this interaction, she sees her arm again and she just looks at it and thinks, "Oh, it seems like it says 50 now." But at no point does she think, well, 90 to 50 is a surprising jump. I know. And again, I'm just, again, for me, I'm just like, yeah, she could have been doing the yeah. loads. I would have been. So I was yeah, like, yeah 40, no 40, problem nothing. at all. Yeah, no matter. Admittedly, it's par for the course with her. It's that she has in every time she tries to solve her purpose, she has no problem just over and over and over and over again, which is teenage kind of like uh, ambition and, and, and deciding to, you know, I want this, so I'm going to achieve it. One thing that stuck out in this moment is that this is the first point where she's getting frustrated with the fact that Kosuke is not, you know, kind of taking the bait. So she decides, I'm just going to jump from a higher position. She goes to the dive board at the school swimming pool. And there was a little moment in this where I thought, is 
is the height she jumps from because when she jumps off the dive board not only does she go back she goes too far back she goes way further back than she thought she would have and so rather than just going back you know a couple of seconds to this Kosuke and Kaho uh, interaction no she goes she goes way further back than necessary I I felt that too I mean I I feel like this is the first time she's I know this might sound a little bit on the nose and it might you might not agree but this is the first time she's actively leapt the rest a few of them she's she kind of trips and she falls and that's more like she's kind of like stumbling into it but because of her height and the distance she jumps this feels to me like a serious leap so I felt like she can determine how far she goes back by the distance and by the height. I thought I did feel like that. I thought it was almost a blend of the two, to be honest, mm. because you see her leaping just up the stairs, like which is less about the height she's going. She's just more about the speed she gains, I yeah. suppose. But then when you see when she leaps off the diving board, she loses control a little and she starts to fall. Mm. And then she ends up further back than anticipated. So it's almost like she's become more and more reckless. And at this point, she's become so reckless that she has literally fallen and ended up further back in time than she anticipated. Wonderful. Yeah, you've nailed it. It's representative. The way that she falls. It's not so so much the height, but it's the manner of the fall and the manner of the leap that kind of dictates. Yeah, that's really good. The other thing that I kind of thought during this bit is when she leaps off that diving board, there's a ton of people watching her do it. Now, I, I can't remember which character it is. I think it might, it's either Kaho or Yuri, says to her at some point, you just vanished. Oh, no, it's not. It's when she does her first jump down by the kind of like uh, riverside. You're right. One of the characters says, the little boys. you vanished for a second. So did everyone everyone around the pool watch her jump off the diving board and vanish midair? Yes. In a, in and I was a, like, whoa, imagine watching that like happen in your school. It's and like, then, well, and then immediately evaporating <laughs> because yeah. she has yeah. erased the, well, you know, you would be there, but the conscious un- yeah. having seen her is all just gone just like that yeah. kind of thing. There's a lot of kind of, yeah, throwaway, almost throwaway timelines. Like, yeah. yeah, I'm doing this right now, but it doesn't matter because I'm going to erase it all. Yeah, yeah. So she goes way back. She sets up Kosuke and Kaho in a more organic manner. She uses the spinning, spinning flying boy from the opening sequence. That again, just kind of reaffirming that opening sequence is the the gift that keeps on giving. It's the the fruit constantly being chucked in the salad. <laughs> <laughs> But unfortunately, this is when she makes the realisation that, as you mentioned, James, uh, it was not a 90. That bad boy was a six and it's upside down. That was a five. And now it reads one. Oh, no. And yeah, don't worry. I did count. And there are indeed six, sorry, five jumps that happen between the number six and now. Oh, fantastic. So, of course, you know, only having one, having had many, many, many jumps, uh, it's a a moment for pause, moment for reflection. Makoto takes a contemplative trip back to the lab where it all started. She's very conveniently jumped back to the point where she can actually go to the lab before she went to the lab. And there's that that moment that we've seen in a few other films where yourself... Well, we we think we, it's yeah, yourself, we think and it's then it yourself. Isn't, so, yeah. and that's the misleading thing about this situation. You know, you you kind of go, "Oh, that must be her. That must be another version of her walking around the lab with her." Now, of course, having only one jump left, it's a it's a moment for pause, moment for reflection, and conveniently for Makoto, she has gone so far back via the the diving board leap that she is now in a time before her original trip on the walnut. She is she you know takes a little trip back to the back to the uh, laboratory full of full of flasks of liquid, and she sees you know again on the board time 
waits for no one. And if anything, now this is a, a kind of reminder to her. She, she sees Yuri for a bit, asks her if there's, you know, anyone else has come by. Yuri initially says no, but later on says, oh, actually, I did. I did see someone. But the, the biggest thing for Makoto in this moment is she's realized oh, time waits for no one. Hold on, then. We're swiftly approaching the time when I would have had the accident, but I let Kosuke borrow my bike. And at this point, she's seen that people can take her place because she was supposed to be carrying the books up the stairs, but it was Yuri that carried the books up the stairs. So these thoughts are all combining in her head, and she's realising that if someone could take her place here, and if someone could take her bike, maybe someone could take her place in the accident. And we get this kind of real nice, this is, this is reaffirms for us as the audience, the constantly present and to be respected force of the train as not just the train, a large object that could kill you, but also as the thing that is, as you mentioned earlier on, James, always on time. They are celebrating that it is always on time and how on time it is. It will always be there. And so this accident will always potentially be there. That train is coming on time. It's that point that you often get in time travel type sort of media that's a point in time you can't change. That train will always be there, so you can avoid it, but something might happen, other things will happen around it, but that that point can't be changed. It's like a fixed point in time. That's a Doctor Who thing. But then when she gets there, they aren't there. Nothing's happened. She does, however, receive a phone call, a suspicious phone call from her good friend, Jackie. He's asking her, hey, um, friend of mine... <laughs> have you been uh you've been doing some of them leaps you've been time leaping have you been have you been time leaping it's a twist not just for us but a twist for her because she's like oh he's gonna ask me out again oh no and then oh no she's rumbled he knows about time leaping and he knows that she's doing it so what is the most sensible thing you could do when someone's called you out for leaping through time I think I'm definitely going to use my final leap to just awkwardly have this conversation again. <laughs> uh, uh, my, my sister's really annoying, right? Yeah, I'm just, uh, you know, uh, yeah. the, we'll change the subject right now and I'm, this has fixed everything. And that's the end. That's the use of her final, Her, you know, her counter goes to zero. That's it. And so we had this moment of sheer panic that Kosuke was going to be in trouble. The accident was going to happen. But realistically, the panic has, you know, has stayed with her and has followed through to this phone call where, you know, yeah, understandably, it's a big kind of taking back of the veil no one else in this movie apart from her aunt technically because she's told her but her aunt who doesn't buy it or maybe does buy it and is being weird about it we'll come back to it but no none of her friends none of her peers know about this thing she gets to enjoy it by herself and kosuke and and chiaki rather just immediately blows up that situation and it's uh, uh just to kind of touch on the trope it's a, a kind of explosive time travel affecting phone call and we've seen that we can plenty of times yeah but it's not over for Makoto because <laughs> immediately she hangs up the phone. Kosuke streams by. He's actually just, you know, she was ironically early. She was early to her own accident. And it's no longer her accident anyway, because now it's going to be Kosuke uh, with Kaho on the back of the bike. And they are hurtling down towards the train. It's going badly. And as she knows, as we know, that train is coming on time. This is a, a long kind of really stressful chase scene which ends in her having quite an ugly accident. God, she's a real mess by the end of this. She's like Badly. battered and bruised and she's got like a huge black eye and it's like, it looks so like she's tumbled down that hill and she's crashed ironically into the, the old woman again. Mm. Um, but obviously not 
in the same way as she not did in a comedic on. way not in a comedic way this is like her this trying is, yeah to... this is a tense time and mm. then they have the accident they smash into the barrier they fly into that train and it's you know Brutal. she is screaming and you know tears flying uh, rightfully so this is this is uh, barbaric what's happening to her in this moment as far as she's concerned it's terrible and she screams and she screams for time to stop and it does now, and this is where, so right here, stake in the ground, we're into the final third of the movie. Time freezes and Chiaki appears. He says Kosuke's safe at home. He says he's the one who froze time. It Chiaki is from the future. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I thought we were doing Shelley Bassey. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Girl finger. <laughs> But you're right, he's he's appeared, he's from the future, he's rocked up, he's got the broken bike, he's like, I know the bike's broken, because I've jumped back far enough to know about this. He's jumped back to before the accidents happened, he's collected the bike, he's arrived just in time to find her, just pre- prior to the phone call that she's about to have with him, to say to her, this is what's going on, I know what's going on, your ability to jump through time that's all down to me. And there is a bit of a strange moment here where there isn't really any precedent for the freezing of time. Now, we've seen a couple of times when she's jumped back that the clock stops and then starts to reverse. So maybe this is an ability that she had and didn't even realise. But we also know that he's about to have to disappear. Is that figurative? Is that literal? He says he has to disappear because he's not supposed to let anybody know about time travel, time the time leaping. But it does seem weirdly tenuous. This is a, a scene where he, he basically just kind of, over the course of the next 15 minutes, he dumps the whole jig on her. He tell, he you know, the whole thing comes out. He, he gives us information about the future that he's come from. He gives us information about the device. He gives us information about what he's been doing since he's there. He says that he lost the device somewhere along the way. Again, some vagary to his kind of stuff. And he's come back from a brutal sounding future. Like, he doesn't describe it particularly in depth, but what he says is that he was excited to see rivers, suggesting there are no rivers in his future. The sky, suggesting there's no sky in his future. Bikes. Groups of people. Right. And, of course, baseball. Yeah, well, classic. There's no LBC no. in the F-U-T-U-R-E. That's light um, baseball chat. <laughs> light baseball chat. Oh. We've seen dystopian futures before. ARQ, ARC had a quite, you know, he goes outside, dust bowls, uh, uh, you know. So it's not something alien to us and we don't even see it in this moment. But he does. And again, a lot of the things that he misses are things a teenage boy would miss the most, you know. Uh, uh, assuming baseball. he is a teenage boy <laughs> and not a 50-year-old man. <laughs> we don't know his age. He may be... Yeah, in fact, there's something a bit weird that comes up later when he talks about, a, a spoiler for the end of the film, waiting for her. And I just wondered, well, is age not a barrier? Because something's weird going on with yeah. the idea of waiting for this girl who yeah. will be older when you next see her. Mm. But I've got a little thing I want to mention here. Now that we've established where he's from and what he's done, let me just uh, get my notes. There are several times where <laughs> we can look back and think... <laughs> I, where we can look back and realise he probably has travelled through time. Um, the first and I think most obvious one is when she's tripped and fallen on the walnut, she's explaining it to them and she's a bit overly suspicious and he's too weirdly defensive and he specifically says, what, do you think it was me that was in there with you? <laughs> with the obvious answer being, well, yes. yeah, it clearly was <laughs> you. I, I, I do. I suspect you, friend. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, the next one we see is obviously at the karaoke when he's having the drinks 
one of the drinks orders changes, but he specifically is the only one who notices and goes, when you're sitting next to me... That's a real subtle one. Yeah, it's a yeah. subtle one. And it, if anyone else had said it, fine. But nobody else really says anything like that. They don't, no one else really mentions it apart from the boy by the river who says she just disappeared. What he specifically goes, what he specifically says is, weren't you sitting next to me? And then the last and again, slightly tenuous one is when the fire extinguisher is flung, he is miraculously there to save the day and jump yeah, in front of her. And yeah. you've just got to wonder, did he save her? And is that how he realised when she then saved him that she is also a time traveller? And I think those those little obvious even, moments... Even for us, the viewer, he is, you know, he's he miraculously darts in front of her to save her in the way that she then miraculously darts in front of him. And I didn't put two and two together immediately because I'm focused on her. I'm focused on Makoto. And so in this moment, oh yeah, he's jumped to, to protect her, but then she jumps to save him. That's the jump I'm thinking of in there. And, and interestingly, in, in terms of her chronology within the film, we know what that is. We don't know what Chucky's chronology is. So he might be seeing her events in a different order, which makes sense when you kind of imagine him jumping in to help her but earlier on in the movie he he's kind of not aware of of her time travel at that point so you it's there's two t- odd timelines going on that that kind of don't mash up with each other in the same chronological order we never see his wrist number until no. the very end so we never see that has he had one for the extent of this movie or has he been jumping over the course of this movie and i mean when it comes to the fact that she's also been jumping simultaneously if the two of them have been jumping who knows how many jumps he might have had at any one point and who knows when he got down to his last one but either way at this stage he's now at zero and just touching on why uh, circling back around to our mention of the of aunt witch and her touching up of a painting not in a in a sort of erotic way she's she's you know looking after it she's not touching it up like that no no um she's uh uh you know restyling a i'm just going to talk myself into a bucket now um sure man you do you why is Chiaki back. Why did he come back? It's a big deal. He came back for the painting. Ah, it's not a big deal. <laughs> no, no, no. He's, we assume, therefore, one of the art students um, in the Japanese oh, system. I did, again, mm. I didn't pull, I didn't uh, make that connection. Yeah, he yeah. chose but, art. Yeah, he's come back um, and he's come back to f- look at this one particular art piece because previous to this, which actually Auntie Witch has revealed, we have no idea where the painting was, where it came from. We just know that it was painted in a time of war and famine. But importantly, even in war and famine, the arts are important. Sorry, did I sound a bit too dry about that? Sorry. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Um, and then in the future, his future is so bleak that obviously the painting gets lost. So at this point, there's this weird link between her aunt, the painting, her, and this time-travelling boy that is in love with her. I See, I interpreted it a little bit, and, and I'm, I'm happy to accept this is wrong. I interpreted it as I needed to come back here to see this painting because this was the last known in my time. This is the last known mention of the painting in the time stream. It goes missing after this. There's no recollection of it after this. And I I took it almost as so he's come back in time to where the painting should be. But lo and behold, it is not here because because someone in the in the interim period between him leaving and arriving here, someone else has nicked it or someone else has come back in time and taken it i i kind of and again i think this might be barking up the wrong tree but i kind of thought that the when he's saying like yeah i couldn't see it in the future that's because everyone in the future can time travel 
the first thing he says, you know, we have a device, everyone can time travel. And we also know that the, the world he's in is terrible. Maybe it's terrible in large part because everyone can time travel. And so you don't have any good things because people went back in time and ruined the good things. Possibly. I'm kind of, now I'm kind of building up a, a fantasy possibly. Or, or I mean, like if every, if everyone can time travel and has the ability to time travel, why would you spend time in with anybody else in an apocalyptic world? You would just go back in time and spend time with at points in time that you would be interested in and want to spend time with family members that have died, like friends that you don't see anymore. Like you could just go back to any point. So you wouldn't spend any time in, in that future. Now, my question is what we think caused the apocalypse. And I've got a theory because it's arts versus science. I think it was NFTs. <laughs> well, okay. That's, well, that's why he's made the mistake, because if he'd come back and if he'd forged that into an... I don't want to sound like I'm pro-NFT in any way. <laughs> I am being facetious. If he'd come back and if he'd minted that painting, he would still own it in 2,690 <laughs> yeah. million years, surely, right? No. All of the JPEGs would have been burnt in the ash-smoldering <laughs> sky, Chiaki. Stay away. <laughs> why, why do you need real art anymore? We don't need real art. We've got NFTs, Scott. Well, it was all of the, all of the you know, electricity used to mint them is why the, you have no uh... sky left in the future. Baseball was sacrificed to the NFT gods. And so all the players were just minted. James, the world will always need real art. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, God. I hate myself for that. Sorry. That was disgusting. I did a biochemistry degree, Adam. Which degree did you do? Drama. <laughs> Drama degree. <laughs> oh, okay. So, yeah, because of this bleak NFT future, Chucky is now at zero and he can no longer go back to his home time. And again, as we've said, he either has to physically disappear, as in he has to just leave, or he's about to evaporate and disappear. We didn't establish we exactly don't know quite entirely, what. yeah. She, he, can't, he can't get any more jumps because Makoto's used up the, the time walnut. She's 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 juiced it out. Can you juice a walnut? She's she's try. she's milked the walnut because you can definitely get you walnut. Can definitely no, you can definitely milk a, milk a walnut. She's milked the walnut. Los Crono Crimenes milk. Uh, what was it? Milk tub in yeah, Los Crono Crimenes. Yeah, link to the milk tub. Milk tub. Um, she's milked the walnut for all of the time power. God, that is a wonderful sentence. I'm sorry, I'm stunting. She's milked the walnut. She's milked the walnut for all the time power, yeah. and now Chiaki doesn't have any milk left. How's he supposed to make a, a future latte? <laughs> <laughs> And so at this point, Chiaki has to disappear and it's just, it's just little old her, sad and lonely. She has to do the one thing that you can do, which is visit your aunt for baseball chat. Um, (laughs) So she goes back to see her auntie. Why doesn't she invite the aunt to baseball and just, you know, just bring it all together? Perhaps we'll find out soon. (laughs) So she goes back and actually, do you know what? This is probably the perfect time, Adam. We know at this point her auntie tells her something like, you can fix this and that she was in a similar position once in the past, etc. Please elucidate us. What's the truth? What's her real name? The aunt? Yeah. Oh. Aunt Witch? Yeah. We just know it as Witch, don't we? I don't know her name. Yeah, you don't know it in the movie. Her real name in the cast is Kazuko Yoshiyama. Okay. Who is the original protagonist of the of the book? Oh, oh because this she is- has travelled in time before. So that and whole thing about this being a sequel, it is a sequel, a loose sequel oh, to the sixty seven. That, that's the link. So she, I all the way through it was sat there and I was like, oh, she's just humouring her, but it's not that at all. She has time travelled before. She's wise. She's wise. She knows. To the game. She knows it. So like that's the link there, and I, I like I. But you would only know that. 
she's never mentioned at all by her name, but her ca- her character name on all of the kind of like credits and stuff. It's an Easter egg for that. the book fan. Yeah, it is. It is completely. But so. it does. It's a nice little bonus. Yeah. Interestingly, this isn't the last adaptation of this of this movie either. Um, there is a, a live action version of this movie that came out okay. in two thousand and ten, um, and it's the daughter of Makoto. Oh, that's cool. So it's like that makes sense. Book, it, anime, know, book live anime, live action, grandma, book, mom, daughter. No, yeah. no actual link between them just the subtle thread that you can yeah. follow if you're a fan i mean I'll, I'll get into it in a little bit we'll talk about it but th- this is not the only other adaptation of this either oh very interesting we see our last few kind of pieces of um symbolism here i think i know that there was something interesting that happens in the um, scene with um, chucky where he sees as time is frozen we see a chrysalis on a tree erupting to produce a cicada and actually, if you go back through the whole film, you'll notice that in some key moments you can hear the screeching of insects in the background, that constant clicking, whistling noise. Those are cicadas in the background. They actually have a really important symbolism with time. So cicadas reproduce on a cycle that means that they are underground for a prime number of years. And they have this weird cycle where it'll be like the 13-year or the 17-year cycle of cicadas because it means that their predators can't adapt to kill them. So they'll all hatch simultaneously 17 years in cycles over and over and over again so that they can basically hatch in these huge huge numbers. That's so, so interesting. That's it's a really subtle thing there that I probably wouldn't have even mentioned if it wasn't for another insect that we see. You'll notice a couple of times there's a ladybird that's in her room and it's usually just before she makes a wise decision. And there's a... Now, I've only very lightly researched this, but I thought it was interesting enough to look it up. And it seems like um, ladybirds have a bit of a uh, symbolism in Japan, certainly from at least the naming convention of them, which means that they follow heaven's path, almost as though they're following the correct path. And that oh, it's a little nice, subtle nice. hint. Now, I could be completely off base there because I don't speak Japanese, don't know the culture that well, but it was something I noticed. Usually those sorts of things are put in because of a reason like that, and that makes all the sense to me, even if that's just how we're reading it. That's, that's it's cool. A, it's, a, it's a dense movie visually. I, mm. I genuinely think so much care has been taken into what you're seeing that things like that little ladybird that climbs up her arm, I, I believe they have significance, and I hope they have significance. Now, as we said, Makoto, super torn up, Chiaki uh, is no longer there. She's just, you know, forlorn. And lo and behold, as we accelerate into the, the finale of the movie, lo and behold, she actually finds she has a, a zero one on her arm. She still has a one because it's been there all along. It never went because Chiaki overwrote her final leap with his final leap. When she used her final leap just to dodge a phone call, dodge an awkward phone call <laughs> with Chiaki himself. He then used his final leap, which overwrote her use of the final leap, and yada, yada, yada. It's nice. It's it's considerate of what you've shown us thus far in terms of time. And so she has a leap, and boy, does she leap far with it. She leaps further. You know, we've, we've kind of seen this at the end of movies like 41, where the final jump is the longest. It's where you put the most juice into it. And, and the girl who leapt through time is exactly the same. She uh, Her final leap is a leap all the way back to before any of this kind of begins. 
you're right. She leaps all the way back to when she falls on the walnut, and she basically she lands there. She sees it. She knows what it is at this point, and so she decides that this is where she's going to do the opposite of what she's done previously. She's not going to do things for herself. This is going to be her doing things for other people. She writes a lot of wrongs. She does what her aunt had been insinuating all along, what her aunt knew that she would eventually get round to, uh, because this is, as her aunt said, this happens to a lot of girls our age. The first thing that I can think of that she does is she goes and she makes sure that uh, Koske is going to meet up with the girl of his dreams. She, she Sets kind of, him up nice and long term. Yeah. Uh, she threatens him not to use her bike. Um, do you remember how much money she threatens him for? I don't. I think 2,000 yen? 5,000 yen, which is approximately £23.50 <laughs> in 2006. She also tells Yuri, she finally, you know, opens up and tells Yuri that she likes Chiaki and, you know, because Yuri had been intimating that she might be interested in him and it's, she's being honest with her emotion and she's correcting some of the wrongs and she's using her time travel finally as a way of helping others, not just herself. And we arrive at the final scene. Makoto... She's ticked off Kosuke, she's ticked off Yuri, she's ticked off Kaho, she's helped everyone that she should have helped in the first place, but understandably didn't. And she arrives with Chiaki, who obviously is a fellow time leaper. She's down by the river coast, and she confronts him with the time travel device, with the with the walnut brackets shell. She explains to him that he told her everything, and he in turn reveals that he has a jump left. Because again, the fact that she used her final leap has now in turn, overwritten his use of his final leap. What do you think of this kind of looping, almost like just explaining? It's it's the it's the conclusion of the film. It's it's wrapping up the plot. So it's kind of this is the the looping of the plot in times at the end because effectively, his final use gives her back her final use, which gives him back his final use. Well, we we've, we've got something slightly interesting in this film, which is in Primer we've got two people time traveling, but they're basically using the same setup. So they they kind of can manipulate each other through this travel, but there's ultimately an end goal of how far they can go back. Then we've got films like um, Sound of Thunder, where there's only one time travel device. Same goes for Los Cronocrimenes, for example, and Ark. These are all films where there's only really one way to travel through time. 41, it's the same corner of the bathroom. But we do see two people travel in that film. But again, they, they share the universe. This is, I think, the first time where we have two time travellers, one arguably from a totally different universe almost, because he's some so far in the future, both doing different time travel adventures and coincidentally meeting up. And I think it makes it way more complicated to untangle how the time streams worked. We, we have literally no idea what he has done with any of his leaps, which makes it quite an interesting debate of could they give each other infinite leaps by just travelling back and forth with each other? Could she eventually get to a point where, assuming she is able to leap once more at some point in the future, could she get to a point where she could leap the extent to... She could leap far enough to get to him in the future, hypothetically speaking. You know, we don't know any of this kind of stuff. Yeah, is he... Because he says he'll wait for her. Is he going to try and figure out some way to come back with more leaps and leap her forward to the future and therefore fulfil his promise. It, it's very theoretical, isn't it? I mean, I I feel like like um, Chiaki's type of time travel feels different. Like, it seems like it's an advanced version of it. Do you know what I mean? Like, the time-stopping moment is what sort of threw me about it because we haven't seen um, Makoto do that. 
it felt like it was different time travel, like it's been advanced. I don't, I don't know. Maybe no, that he was definitely just a kind feels of, more like, advanced. Well, a he's mm. from the future, so he does come he, across. He seems as, to know more. He just seems to know more yeah. about it and is more confident in how it works. More mature. I think yeah. he has a maturity of knowledge, which means he knows that he can use it in different ways. And so, by her giving him the final jump, her giving him the decision, her deciding to be for the first time ultimately selfless at her own detriment. That is what gives the mature person the decision and he works out what he needs to do to hopefully fix this whole situation. And so as we intimated, he has this final jump. He is going to leave. She sits there. It's 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 sad. You know, she's waiting for him to tell her he loves her again. He doesn't. And as you mentioned, James, he says, I'll wait for you. In my head, he is now jumping back to his time. Yeah, I assume so. And so he is waiting for her. Again, if he's going to wait for her in... Age-wise, I don't think she's going to be alive long enough because I'm a, I'm working on the, as far as the movie tells me, it doesn't give me a year he's come from. You said, uh, Adam, you mentioned it in the book, he's from 2600. Yeah, 2660 or something. It definitely so. feels like far future given yes. how yeah, dystopian yeah. it is. She's not going to live long enough, which is why I think it kind of maybe nods to, maybe she'll develop a means to travel again in the future. Because again, even if even if he was 40 years in the future, she will be 67 years old by then and he will still be a young boy and it'll just get licorice pizzery. <laughs> <laughs> what I think is interesting is she makes a decision, a final decision, with whether she realises it or not. She decides that she'll choose the arts because she says she will make sure the painting survives. She'll do everything she can. She'll follow this painting through, which is interesting that it's linked to her aunt that she'll follow this painting through to the point where it will survive to his future. Is there any element of circular narrative in that? In that if she guarantees that the picture will be there, when he comes to check it, it won't not be there. You make a very good point. Yeah. Ergo, she will arrive in a point, let's hopefully assume she manages to fix it up real nice Mm -hmm. and it's all ready to go and she's still 17 or maybe 18. Yeah. But she'll be stood there. I've restored the art. Boom. He's going to come to see it and he will see it. So none of the events of the movie will happen. Yep. Part of me instantly thought, do we think that Makota has convinced, has, because of what's happened there, is she the reason her aunt is doing the picture up? Ooh, good point. Again, a really nice. I thought like, are we seeing all the way through it, a plot line that is already gone full circle? Because, you know, she works as an art curator. That's what we know. That's what her aunt does. And we know from what we know now that she's time traveled before. And there's almost like a like another loop thing going on here. Like maybe she started it all off and that's what this moment you're seeing is. That's where I kind of grabbed from it. It's definitely not a Los Crono Crimenes situation of, you know, everything has happened and will happen and does happen and you just jump around the happening of it, but it stays the same. Makoto makes continuous alterations to the time stream. And there are graphics when she's within within the time zone of all of the, the gears and clocks and she's falling through it. There are moments like when she uh, when she dives off the diving board where you see her moving from one counting 30 second on the left to a counting 30 red second on the right. Almost as if to say, and I've drawn a wee diagram, not to the benefit of our listeners but in this audio-only format, but it's almost as if when she jumps backwards... You could argue potentially that she's jumping backwards into a an identical but different timeline. So it's exactly the same, but it's a different timeline. She jumps backwards into that, and then when she and moves forwards 
in that timeline and yeah. it's identical in every way but because you see her you see this graphic visualization of her falling from one thirty to another it's not just her falling backwards or forwards it's her falling over to another time so there's there's elements of that i think that there's a, a really strong kind of there's a really strong as, as as you guys mentioned argument that this is a movie that does many things time travel wives that we've not seen at all thus I, far i think they deliberately keep it very vague and I think that there's a good a good reason to, and I think it does work well that we don't know what's going on because it lets you lean more into the plot. I agree with you on some parts. I think that there are times when I felt like she was jumping to a different timeline. But then you get those moments where I think she's jumping in the same timeline because characters point out that they saw her vanish and then reappear. Very true, yeah. So, like, I, I think what this what the director has done very cleverly here is he completely understands the time aspect within this movie and can play with it. He can chuck Makota anywhere he wants when she's jumping between times and whatever, and it makes sense. He that's, knows the full parameters of the yeah, sandbox. I really appreciated that. It felt like it was fully fleshed out. And I think that very comfortably brings us into, Adam, uh, some film facts. Yeah, I've got a few. I mean... Well, I said earlier, I was amazed how many adaptations of this there have been over the years. So I, I counted 11, 11 times. Oh, my goodness. Changed. Oh, my. Like, I did yeah. not expect that. Yeah, I thought you were like, going to say five. No, it's it's nothing like anything we've ever seen before. This is like a cultural icon for Japan. It's really bizarre when I looked into it. So like, there's the original novel. Uh, and that was 19... Well, it's actually got a link to Sound of Thunder that I was going to throw out yes. here. Oh, <laughs> no. Um, it was originally published in several magazine issues, just like Ray Bradbury's right. storyline. A Sound was. of Thunder, yeah. So, yeah, sorry, I had to throw that in there. Um, the only but, two on the list we've got that come from novels. Yeah. Um, and uh, so you've got the original novel, and then you've got a TV series in 1972. Okay. You've got the first live-action film in 1983, uh -huh. which was the second highest-grossing film in 1983 <laughs> in Japan. Wow. Wow. Um, wow. Then you've got a reaction to it from the author who wrote a parodied version of his own work in 1983. <laughs> really strange. Uh, then there was a TV drama, just one episode of something else. So they kind of condensed it down like a Twilight Zone type thing. Oh, kind of like Fringe or X-Files. Yeah. Um, a full TV show, five episode TV show in 1994. A second live action film in 97. Um, it just keeps going. <laughs> I have no idea about a TV any of film. These. This one was crazy. A TV film where the main uh, actors in it were all a J-pop group. Oh, I love that. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, a bunch of. Uh, then there was another live action film. Then there was the anime. Then another live action movie. Then another TV drama, bringing us up to 2017 when it was put on stage as a play. Oh, is it more media? Yeah, yeah more media. <laughs> Um, and there's kind of the the live action. So the live action 2010 one, I think we mentioned earlier, that is the daughter of Makota. But interestingly, it, the live action version of her is played by the actress who plays Makota in this. Uh, that's quite a nice little touch. So she, it's her live action version of her daughter from the that role she played so in fun. 2006. I love that. Yeah. 
Um, other sort of like things of note, um, it made three million dollars at the box office. Nice. So when it did get an American release, a sort of worldwide release. Oh, really? Yeah, just a very short one. Um, but it, it did. Was it celebrated? Uh, you know. Quite, yeah, quite well. It, it got a lot of um, sort of independent animated film awards. Oh, fantastic! Um, uh, which you can. I mean, it's beautiful. I mean, it's like any of the kind of like really top notch animation type things. I did read that. The director, Mamoru Hosoda, I read that he was signed up and agreed to direct Spirited Away, the oh, really? Ghibli movie really? that, you know, the Oscar winning and etc. Et one of my favourite films. But it didn't work out. I can't remember why, but it whether it was scheduling or funding or disagreement or who knows, but it didn't work out. But this he was obviously very well mm. thought of. And I think that The Girl Who Leapt Through Time is made with the same love and affection that Ghibli or any kind of like high high-quality Japanese animation studio would have really appreciated. Interestingly, a couple of the projects he worked on after Go Leap Through Time, he did all of the Digimon movies. No! Yep. He directed the Digimon movies. Oh, that's cool! Yeah, yeah. So, like, nothing... Nothing like of note between that and the Digimon movies. Like, there's a couple of other animated yeah, in features. In the first Digimon movie, in the first Digimon movie, when they are in the final battle and they're in that big white blank white world with loads of just data swirling around, mm. very very strong. <laughs> Makoto in in the time world vibes very strong I I, that's a really strong have we mentioned Digimon before on this podcast I don't no we mentioned Game Boy Advance games with Sound of Thunder that's what I'm thinking of that's what I'm thinking Um, and the only other thing that I kind of found was there's a um, a a sort of prominent scholar who um, an anime scholar which I didn't think there was a thing that existed fantastic um, called Ulrich Hines Um, and he the the quote that I picked out from his kind of wording was um the girl who leapt through time represents the first fully formed version of time travel as an exploration of self, which I thought was an interesting way of looking at that it. That is lovely. It is, because it's an adolescent view of time travel, it's it's pure and it's kind of it's it's got that feel to it that feels more like an exploration, which this I think big, made sense. It's a big moral message film. It of, is, yeah. Like, uh, do do things for other people, not just for yourself. Mm. There's um, more. There's more character work in this than anything we've covered thus far, because yeah. it cares about the characters. It cares about all of the all of the like baseball chat is all just you know teenagers hanging out talking about their worries and what's going to happen in the future and what about this girl who has a crush on you and oh, are we going to play together forever and oh it's just really sort of. Uh, uh, Affable, digestible, comforting, pleasant, slice of life, character growthy goodness. Now, there are a few little <clears throat> tropes to go through, but not not many in this film. It's kind of different enough that it gets away with its own little stories. Um, there's the symbolic piece of, you know, timekeeping equipment, the alarm clock that falls on our head. Um, but that's not particularly major. There's a phone call, but that's also not particularly major. I think the the most major ones we can see are traveling accidentally. Again, she's another person who didn't intend to time travel, but she does. We've got traveling to fix a mistake. That's pretty much all of what she does throughout the latter half of the film. Someone else doing it before her and her gaining the ability through that. Usually it's their father's doing I was going to say, thank God, it's, yeah. she doesn't have any problems with her dad. He's not even in this film. It's no. true. He's barely refreshing, in it at all. Refreshing. Um, <laughs> 
usually we've seen a lot of car trouble in the previous films, yeah. and there is in this bike and train trouble. Bike and train, transport is, trouble. Yeah. I it's think a, pub- it's a public slash green energy friendly movie. <laughs> yeah. And then we've got, of course, the convincer chat. But ultimately, that's that's kind of it. I do think it almost adds its own new trope, which when I look back at the other films, we sort of see a little bit, which is when you use time travel for selfish means, mm. you are the one who suffers. Yeah, and yeah. I think yeah. that is quite an interesting potential addition. Yeah, yeah. The, the movie's pretty much it. The movie's really concerned in a really positive way with the ethics of time travel in ways that Primer very much is. They talk about the ethics of what they're doing considerably, but not a lot of the other movies are. Los Crono is an unethical movie in terms of what he does. ARQ, they're, they are preoccupied with other more mm-hmm. pressing matters. The jacket, he's preoccupied with his own death. Sound of Thunder, they are preoccupied with whether or not they'll get to go on Oblivion again. (laughs) (laughs) And 41, there is the ethical chat with his three professors at the, you know, Wine and Academia night. But this movie makes it poignant and obvious the ethics of what she's doing. And not in a ham-fisted or overly, you know, look at what you've done, woman. No, but it's just like, well, you know, you've you've changed all these things to make your life better and you haven't helped anyone else out. It's probably going to bite you in the bum. And bite you in the bum is the lightness of yeah. repercussion in this yeah. film. It's all, it's almost nice in a way that that you, you we get a protagonist that's strong enough to realize the mistake she's making herself. Nobody tells her she needs to correct things. It's not like when Doc tells Marty in Back to the Future, you need to correct all this shit because you've 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 messed up here. She discovers that herself and it's like it goes with the coming of age thing. You know, it's like it's like her coming into her own and she she works how to do time travel rapidly and is like really good at it and uh, it's just refreshing to see especially when there's an expert in the room who yeah could have helped her the whole way through yeah but just gives her the tiny subtle hints of yeah. maybe try this maybe honey try i didn't that. go through a book in 1967 to just speak it to just tell you the answer okay <laughs> go back and go back and read the novels yeah. um We've got a lot of good stuff to say about this. I'm so curious, guys. Where where do you think it falls on our on our on our list? Uh, just to remind the audience, we have uh, in ascending order. We have uh, in sixth place, forty one. Just above that, in uh, Sound of Thunder. Above that, the jacket, and then the more positive half of the of the rundown. Uh, in third place, ARQ. Strong second place is Los Crono Crimenes, and then in an almost undeniable first place is Primer. How, how do you how are you feeling? I think this is a tough one because it's it's such a different form of film and it's it's such an easy to digest, really enjoyable. I I didn't it there's stressful moments, but I did think it was more of a coming of age film. I think it I couldn't rank it anywhere in the in the bottom because no. it's just such a nice easy film to watch. I think the understanding of time travel within this universe is second to none. I think it it might be like well up towards the top for me in that respect as a time travel as a movie. time travel movie whoever and i imagine it's one of those situations where i'm going to write a time travel movie you put a big whiteboard up and you write down everything you need to happen in the movie and it's so well understood that it ranks pretty high up the list for me you're right because i think about films like sound of thunder where really time travel was just a we want to make an action film. How it's, do we do it? It's a plot it, device, isn't it? Travel? Like it's just like a it's a throwaway thing. Whereas this is not that. This is 
she her entire existence her entire film story is about the fact that she is time traveling i have such a big thing about that when we are hunting for new movies and potential movies is that there is a a, a difference in my mind and one that i'm never I'm not always perfectly capable of describing, but I just know and I feel the difference between a movie with time travel in it and a time travel movie. And one of the core things, not exclusively, but one of the things I always like to see in a time travel movie is that when character A or character B or whoever time travels, they turn around and and look at the time travel and say, how and why? And Makoto does that. Makoto, the second she realises she thinks she can time travel. She tries to work out how to do it. She does work out how she does it. And then she goes about doing it. She learns about it and she cares about it as opposed to, let's say, for example, Hot Tub Time Machine, where they they time travel, they get out of the hot tub and then they just go about a comedy movie. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. That's exactly my feelings. Yeah. And that's why I don't think, looking at that list, I couldn't possibly put it below Ark but I also don't think it's anywhere above Los Cronocrimenes. Correct. I, th- I think its perfect position is between Cronocrimenes and Ark. We are all vibing along the yeah. same timeline, yeah. gentlemen. Uh, it's it's third spot, and it's, and it's comfortably yeah. third spot. Comfortably. I think so. I was, I'm, I'm almost a bit taken back because I had mild reservations as I, a movie that I knew would be a bit more sort of romance-leaning and, uh, and would lean towards a slightly younger demographic than we're used to. We're normally used to watching movies for for adult morons yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for us yeah so i'm i'm very pleasantly taken back by this i thoroughly i thoroughly, i enjoyed the movie but i really thoroughly enjoyed breaking it down with you guys mm, I, and i absolutely. loved that you enjoyed it adam i was really worried that you wouldn't like it because i know it's not your cup of tea when when we sat down and we said we're going to do this one i was like oh i'm gonna have to really work hard because i just i just struggle with anime i don't know what it is i can't i can never kind of follow what's going on but i think part of that because i was looking at it from this point of view it helped me work with it better i think that's how i how i sort of processed it this time well gents i'm more than happy that that wonderful wonderful meal gets to take its uh, position uh, third place on our rankings talking of meals uh, i would say this this very much is something something light something pleasurable something sort of uh, touch of romance about it you know maybe something puddingy uh, yeah, I think my favourite pudding. I think it might be a tiramisu. Oh, very yeah. nice. Indulgent, but light. Sophisticated, pleasant. yeah. Slightly romantic. Eat it on a sunny afternoon. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I got lost there for a second. I don't know where I was going with that. Well, just like we all are post-tiramisu, I'm off for a lie down. Guys, thank you so much. Oh, wonderful. I had a great time. Yeah, me too. <laughs> And that brings to a close another episode of Time Travel Film Club. If you'd like to share TTFC with your friends, our episodes can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify and Stitcher. And we'd be so, so grateful if you could leave us a rating and a review on any of those platforms so that our wee club can reach more ears. As always, if you'd like to get in touch with us, it's Facebook at Time Travel Film Club, Twitter at Time Travel Club. Or the subreddit r slash Time Travel Film Club or an email to timetravelfilmclub at gmail.com. Our next episode will be 2017's Curvature, which you can find on Amazon at time of recording. Until then, love from the past. See you in the future.